Music! On November 21st, Santa's No Saint. Cookies? Uh, no. The Easter Bunny's No Fable. Six foot one, master of Tai Chi. And this <laughs> is no fairy tale. Look at all the pretty teeth with little blood and gum on them. <laughs> Don't forget to floss. DreamWorks Rise of the Guardians. Are you sure these guys are housebroken? Ready to Hello, everyone, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is Rico, your host of the podcast. <laughs> and today is November the 25th. 2012 this will be podcast 412 so it's 2012 podcast 412 get that yeah all right today i'm back uh last week you had uh chris and will doing that very cool uh podcast about star trek comics and covering uh, uh just the, the the long history there that uh the trek comics have been put out by a lot of different companies just a great show you guys did a fantastic job and uh, really enjoyed listening to it so uh, this week I am back, and we're going to look at a classic film, one that I, I should have covered ages ago. I mean, seven years on a podcast, and I haven't covered this film yet. It's kind of, uh, well, it's a definite big oversight, but I am finally doing it. And uh, I am going to cover uh, the film by Steven Spielberg, a classic in, in sci-fi history, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Not of the second kind, not of the first kind, but Close Encounters of the Third Kind from 1977, a big year in sci-fi history uh, with, of course, the first Star Wars film and Close Encounters of the Third Kind uh, late that year as well. So uh, we're going to look at that. I've got some clips, going to talk about some of the background and history and trivia and just give you guys all kinds of uh, good information I hope on that film uh, which is a, just a great movie still uh, really cool to watch uh, I watched it yesterday uh, and uh, collected clips and it still is just it's just something really really nice about that movie and I'll talk more about that soon talk a little bit about uh, TV film movies whatever else is going on in the world of geekdom uh, before we get into the close encounters uh, look but um, I think that's about all I got to say for right now so hey let's do it Welcome to the podcast, Treks and Sci-Fi, your weekly dose of geeky goodness. We drink a glossy of special guests. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise, Enterprise, Enterprise. Make it so. All right, just had a little sip of tea and getting my voice in gear for this early Sunday morning. Uh, it is um, a little bit of snowing going on outside here today. The weekend's been really weird. You know, in the United States, 
we had a long uh, Thanksgiving holiday weekend here. A lot of people had four days off. Some had more, some had less, but we had Thanksgiving on Thursday. Thanksgiving Day, I believe, here in Michigan was about 60 degrees outside. Today it's about, right now it says my thermometer for the outside here of our house is saying it's 27 Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit that is, and it's snowing a little bit. So in three days, you know, the wonders of Michigan and at this time of year, it can go from 60 degrees to, to 20, you know, 25, 30 degrees overnight easily. So the snow is not much. We're getting a little dusting. It's going to melt off. We're going to be in like the low 40s today, I think. So uh, I feel like I'm a little nasally. I, a lot of times I think I say that, especially when uh, I've... I guess I've been up about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, still, I don't sleep very, uh, you know, late uh, on weekends anyway. I try not to. And uh, today I woke up pretty early, probably about 6.30, kind of laid there for about a half hour and got up. And all fascinating podcasting uh, topics here, right, <laughs> to start with. But uh, but anyway, I just want to say uh, I hope everyone in the States at least had a uh, happy Thanksgiving. And we had a good time. The both kids, Stephen and Eric, were in, and uh, Stephen's girlfriend, and we had, uh, you know, some good food and some fun, and uh, watched a couple of movies with my uh, younger son Eric. Uh, that uh, I, we watched uh, Airplane from 1980, I think that came out. I, I, I'm slowly getting my my kids to watch some of these classic uh, movies. I hate to use the word classic, but. <laughs> It's movies that I even went to the theater to see. I, I don't view as, I don't know. Classic movies for me were movies like Humphrey Bogart and Black and White. Uh, but for them, I guess it's a different thing. So so ever, how's everybody doing? I hope everybody's well. Uh, trying to stay healthy at this time of the year is sometimes a little tricky. You know, get rest, take your vitamins and all that good stuff. Uh, just, uh, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of activities at this time of year. A lot of stress kind of and uh but uh you know i'm just trying to take it easy and you know relax a little bit over this weekend too because there's a lot going on uh for work lately for me and it's just been kind of crazy and busy there so try to take advantage of the weekends and, and take it easy and actually one of the times uh, that i enjoy a lot over the weekends is podcasting for all of you and uh so that is what we're here to do mainly uh today I want to talk about a few things to start with, just to sprinkle them out there, some topics and some geek news of that. Uh, uh, for those uh, that have watched the Guild, you know, Felicia Day's show, that I just want to remind everyone, you know, they are running their current season. I think they're up about halfway through the season. I think episode six or seven is out, seven maybe. Uh, best way to find their stuff right now, and they've got a few new series there's this series about called Space Janitors or Space Truckers. I know that these are all web series, of course. But just uh, check out their YouTube channel, Geek and Sundry. Uh, some real fun stuff going on there. And Felicia Day's got a little a video uh, thing that she puts out to her just herself. And, of course, the guild, uh, the current season there, that her friend Kenny in California is, is very closely tied to and uh does the podcast knights of the guild and all kinds of fun stuff so anyway just wanted to remind everyone that that's ongoing again uh the other thing that i think chris mentioned last week uh is this cool web series uh in the battlestar galactica world and realm uh called blood and chrome uh basically what they did with this it's 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 a much lower budget uh, production than 
the uh, original, or not the original, but the BSG that we knew from a few years ago, Ron Morris production on the Sci-Fi Channel. But even though it's lower budget, it is just as fun, just as good. They're using this new, uh, I don't know if it's new, I shouldn't say that, this computer program for the uh, visual effects called Lightwave. And it really looks great. I think they're doing an amazing job. This, the, the acting is great. They've got some good good people in the cast. The story is pretty cool so far. I think they just put out episode five and six of this. So you've got one, two. They're doing them in, in doubles, kind of like they did one and two, three and four, and five and six. And it's coming out each Friday, I believe. And they are also going to broadcast this entire film on the Sci-Fi Channel in, in early 2013. Also, there's going to be a DVD slash Blu-ray release uh, that you can get the whole thing that'll come out in, I think, February of 2013. But if you want to watch it as the episodes come out in high def even on YouTube, uh, just search for Blood and Chrome Battlestar Galactic on YouTube. It, it, this is just a really cool. It really is... Uh, making me miss Battlestar Galactica even more and missing a space-type show on on the Sci-Fi Channel uh, as well. Uh, and I think those guys mentioned that last week a little bit. You know, we don't have Stargate Universe anymore. There's obviously no Star Trek, Farscape. Uh, there's nothing with the word star in it as a regular series. Um, you know, in Battlestar, obviously, there's a star in that word. So there's no star shows on on. Uh, TV on the Sci-Fi Channel these days, and we need it. I, I, I'm, I just miss having a show like that each week. You know that you're out there flying around the galaxy and stuff. And uh, so this is is a very cool show. Really liking it, and and you all should be watching it as well. So check that out. Um, movies. I think I guess the last thing I went to the movies to see was James Bond, and I and I think I had a chance already to talk about that a little bit. There's, there's some people that are saying, you know, uh, we've had a little discussion on the forum, and I, I think there's a few people out there that, that, that saw this movie and are, are not quite feeling it as being as, as great as it is, uh, some people are. I'm, I'm not really in the camp that I think this is the, the, you know, the very best James Bond movie. I mean, I, I think it's definitely up there. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. But I can see what some people are saying about it. You know, they're, they're, it's, it's definitely a little different than the last couple of James Bond movies. For Daniel Craig and what they've been doing, but I think that was intentional. I think they they wanted to kind of change the pace around a little bit. James Bond's a little bit messed up, frankly, in this movie. I'm not going to give away anything too much. You can kind of see it from the trailers. You know, he gets he gets injured, and and I think it affects him, and that affects the sort of the tone of the movie. But anyway, I think it's a, a great movie to see at the theater, and and go see it if you get a chance. Uh, I definitely highly recommend. And the the little spot I played at the beginning of today's show is a movie that I'd like to see uh, sometime soon. It's It's been good, uh, or it's been looking good for a while. It's called Rise of the Guardians, and it basically, they take all these sort of uh, 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 fantasy, fairy tale, myth creatures, ca- characters like Santa, Jack Frost, uh, the Tooth Fairy, uh, the Bunny Rabbit, uh, the Easter Rabbit. And then they turn them into these sort of heroes in a way. Uh, I don't, I don't know a huge amount about the plot because I, I try not to learn everything. But it is playing now, 
And it's also been getting pretty good reviews. Uh, Chris Pine, uh, who, of course, from the, the recent Star Trek movie and, and Star Trek Into Darkness coming up in May, is one of the voices. And they've got some really good voice talent. I think uh, Alec Baldwin uh, does the voice of Santa Claus for the movie, which I think is, is a good, really good casting. So they've got some really nice voice talent here. I think uh, Chris Pine, if I didn't, did I say? I think he's playing Jack Frost. I think he does. Uh, so anyway, uh, that movie is out now. Also, Life of Pi just came out, that movie about the Indian boy and, and the uh, the tiger on the boat thing. Um, it's uh, I think that's something I'd like to see. I'm not sure if I'll get a chance or go see it at the movie theater. Uh, my wife Lynn read the book, and, and she's a little surprised the, the movie is only, I, th- I don't think it's even PG-13. I think it's a PG movie. And she's she's telling me based on the book that she read, it's she's a little surprised it's only PG. But I have a feeling they they must have toned some things down, perhaps for the movie. But that's something else playing at theaters. Uh, uh, what else? And of course, in a in a couple of weeks, not very long now, we've got the Hobbit, and, and the Hobbit now is turning into this mega event. Of course, we're going to have a, a Star Trek nine minutes at the uh, showings in uh, the IMAX theaters for the Hobbit. Uh, and if you go see The Hobbit in a regular theater, we're going to also probably be getting, uh, I don't know, you can't really guarantee every showing everywhere, but they're saying, you know, there's also going to be a regular, like, three-minute trailer for Trek out uh, with The Hobbit and probably other movies that weekend and, and into the holiday movie season. We'll be seeing that, the regular trailer. But the nine minutes of Trek footage, you have to go to IMAX theaters for that. The other uh, big trailer that I'm looking forward to seeing that they're going to supposed to be with The Hobbit as well is for Man of Steel. That's the new Superman film coming next summer. And that is supposed to, we're supposed to finally be getting a full-blown trailer for that. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that a lot. Uh, not, I, I guess, is almost as much as is Trek. But, I, you know, I, I think I'm really looking forward to this, this Superman movie. I think Superman's an interesting character. And I, I really feel that they're doing something a little different with this film and, and making him... They keep saying they're making him a little more real in a way, and and it, just the tone of it looks looks really interesting, and I'm really looking forward to that. So, lots of good stuff at the theaters to see, trailers, movies, and, and so forth. And the on the TV front, well, you know what? Let's take a break. I'm going to take a short break here. I'll talk a little bit about TV, what I've been liking, what's going on in the world of uh, television and geek geek TV and what I've uh, been enjoying, and then we will get into the Close Encounters discussion. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. 
You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com All right. Uh, television. Uh, television has been fantastic, I think, this season. I think we've had some really good stuff. I've mentioned a few of these things before, but uh, one of the new shows that I'm really enjoying quite a bit is Arrow on the CW. That uh, show kind of featuring Oliver Queen and the Green Arrow and, a, and a sort of a a new kind of telling of that to to a point, uh, and they've been doing really a good job. It's a very serious, dark kind of show in a way, much different than Smallville was. So that is on, and I'm enjoying. I, I kind of stopped watching Revolution. I, I just wasn't really feeling it, and it, it I might go back to it at some point, but they're just... I don't know, the characters and, and the storyline wasn't grabbing me as much as some other shows, so I just kind of let that one go. Um, I know some people are enjoying it, and that's great, and, and but it just for me, it wasn't really, wasn't making the cut for my TiVo, and uh, I've got a lot of TV that I watch already. Um, but the, uh, you know, a couple other shows, The Walking Dead, uh, I have to say, is this season has just been so fantastic, so intense. I've uh, been reading some of the comics, and it even, it's been so intense that I actually finally, for the first time, I had a dream about, like, The Walking Dead and zombies and stuff. Not a very pleasant dream, but I don't really remember real details of it anymore now. It was a couple of weeks maybe ago that I had that dream, but that show, I can't say too much. It's just, it, it is, it is, The Walking Dead, the comic and the TV show is like, they took kind of, like, what what are we going to do, you know, on a, on a TV show that's going to be completely out there and shock and surprise people and just keep them completely on the edge of their seats? And this show does that. So if you want a show that's going to make you, you know, feel all kinds of weird emotions and, you know, it, it, it's just it, it it's not a show that you can just sit there and kind of half watch, you know, while you're cruising on the Internet or something like that. So uh, you definitely, and I think seasons one and two are on uh, Netflix, so you can get caught up that way, and season three is is what's airing right now. So uh, very, very, very good show, uh, excellent show, and, and well acted, and just, just uh, really amazing. It really, it's um, one of the best shows to me on television. Just shows so much about human nature and, and human characters and emotion and just I can't say enough good things about it. Um, the Big Bang Theory continues to be great. Really enjoying that. Uh, nice to have something a little lighter, uh, you know, when you watch The Walking Dead. <laughs> I'm watching Dexter, too. Not a real sci-fi show, but uh, but another show that's pretty intense. I, I watch usually watch The Walking Dead and Dexter on, like, Mondays because I don't usually watch them when they air live on, on Sunday. And then, uh, you know, so Monday's a pretty intense uh, viewing for me. So it's good to have some light light shows also to sprinkle in there, uh, like The Big Bang Theory. I'm also enjoying the, this uh, last season of Fringe, which has had some pretty intense, pretty crazy stuff going on. And Grimm on Friday nights is, is also great. Uh, just, a, you know, so much fantastic genre TV these days. We have Once Upon a Time, which continues to be good. 
it, and it's just it's just you know just about every night there's there's a show on a, a sci-fi or fantasy type show almost every night i mean if you tivo things like i do you can uh you know you kind of sprinkle them out and spread them out throughout the week if you want um one last thing, it's not sci-fi, but I've been enjoying it. I was disappointed to hear that that sub-drama, the ABC Last Resort show, was canceled along with that 666 Park Avenue, which I wasn't watching that. But uh, there's still some episodes to be aired for the Last Resort. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to sort of tie things up at all. I don't know if they, they are you know going to get a chance to kind of resolve that show. But I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to watch the rest of the episodes. I think we still have about five or something that are going to air before... Um, they got their 13 episode run basically and then abc said uh you know no more episodes and i believe their plan is still to broadcast them all so um i think that's it that that should do it for now i i don't have that much more to say i could probably talk more about television movies and there wasn't a lot of new trek news except one last reminder well two things i'll actually mention there's a Tim Russ fan film, I'll call it a fan film, Trek production that he's working on called Star Trek Renegades. They are still doing a Kickstarter uh, fundraiser for that. They kind of met their first goal of 200000 Now they're going to try to reach two fifty uh, to to add a little bit more to the production. Anyway, just search on Kickstarter for Star Trek Renegades or just search Google for Star Trek Renegades. I think they, have a, they, they definitely have a site, uh, a place, I think it's just Star Trek Renegades. Dot com and and this he's he's pulling in a lot of cast people people from other Trek series uh, people that have done other fantasy and sci-fi television just a good group of actors it looks like uh, and uh, so it's well worth supporting them for this project uh, Star Trek Renegades and uh, that's going to be worked on very soon uh, and the other Trek story oh I know what I want to remind you. Uh, this Thursday night in select theaters, I think you United States only, but maybe some in Canada. Not quite sure. Uh, just search for your local movie ticket buying place. There's also I put uh, some links and things on the forum and on Facebook about this. Anyway, for the Blu-ray second season release for TNG, they're going to have another night of episodes in theaters. This will be on one night only, Thursday, November 29th. They're going to show two episodes from season two. They're going to show, which is it, Q-Who and uh, A Measure of a Man, or The Measure of a Man. Uh, those two episodes. In The Measure of a Man, they've added actually additional new footage into that episode uh, that they're adding in uh, for this Blu-ray release. It's uh, the second season of TNG on Blu-ray is coming out December 4th, so like a week from this Tuesday. So if you want to see TNG on the big screen, this is another chance to do that. They did it with the Season 1 release, and now for Season 2, they're going to do it as well. I, I, I really hope this continues. I would love to see for um, Season 3, 4. I don't know how they do it because the episodes were split between the seasons, you know, but I'd love to see the best of both worlds, both Part 1 and Part 2 on the big screen. Wouldn't that be cool to see that in high def on the big screen and everything? Anyway, uh, that uh, showing is this Thursday night, November 29th, and I'm going to be, unless something unforeseen happens, I'm going to be there to see that. So, All right, one last little break. Actually, during this break, what I'm going to do is play for you. uh, This was sort of a trailer, but it actually gives you some information about the movie as well. 
it, it's a little uh, you know background and, and information along with trailer type things. Anyway, this is for the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This was what was uh, the first theatrical trailer that was shown uh, and uh, the, for the movie that came out on November 16th, way back on uh, November 16th, 1977. So let's do some quick math here. Uh, 35 years? 35? Yeah, 35 years. So this is an appropriate time to do, gosh, 35 years ago this movie came out. Did I do that math right? It's not 25? 35, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, so listen to this. Close encounters of the first kind. Sighting of an unidentified flying object. Close encounters of the second kind. Physical evidence of a UFO. Close encounters of the third kind. Actual contact. Columbia Pictures, in association with EMI, presents Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The director is Steven Spielberg, whose most recent motion picture, Jaws, is already a legend. The producers are Julia Phillips and Michael Phillips of The Sting and Taxi Driver. Creating special effects is Douglas Trumbull, who in this film goes far beyond his achievements in 2001 A Space Odyssey. For the music, there was only one choice. 11-time Academy Award nominee John Williams, composer of the scores for Jaws and Star Wars. The technical advisor is the world's foremost authority on unidentified flying objects, Dr. J. Allen Hynek of Northwestern University. Heading the cast is Richard Dreyfuss, who has shown his rare talent in such diverse films as American Graffiti, The Apprenticeship of Duty Kravitz, and Jaws. And making his American debut as an actor is the great French director Francois Truffaut, winner of the 1974 Academy Award. A close encounter could happen to anyone. It could happen to you. It does happen to Roy Neary. An average working man, Neary finds his life, his very world, changed. Who are you people? We have very little time, Mr. Neary. We need answers from you. They're honest, direct, and to the point. Who are you people? Have you recently had a close encounter? I want to speak to someone in charge. Une rencontre plutôt inhabituelle. I want to lodge a complaint. A close encounter with something very unusual. What the hell is going on around here? Who the hell are you people? The title of the picture, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, refers to an intriguing possibility. Well, a close encounter of the first kind is one that is close, but nothing really happens. Close encounter of the first kind is visible contact with UFO. Forget the shape and forget how fast it's going. It's something that you just can't explain. Close encounters of the second kind are those which leave a physical trace. Holes in the ground, fern rings, broken tree branches, telephone lines down, animals disturbed, the stopping of car engines. Then the close encounters of the third kind are the most interesting of all. Close encounter of the third kind is really when you meet them.
encounters of the third kind. The experience of an ordinary man shared by people from all over the world, irresistibly drawn by a compulsion they don't understand. To witness the most dramatic event in the history of the human race. And what you will see has never been seen before. Indiana town and leads to one inescapable conclusion. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I remember way back uh, when I first heard about this movie coming uh, back in the days of uh, the only uh, source of information for upcoming films. The first way I learned about Star Wars, the first movie was good old Starlog magazine, which I still miss. Uh, you know, it, it ceased publication a, a few years back. I don't know exactly remember when it was, but, uh, you know, with the Internet and everything and magazines and newspaper publishing has you know, was quickly changing. I was hoping they would kind of go to a digital format. But anyway, I, l I first learned about Close Encounters and Steven Spielberg's sci-fi UFO type movie and Starlog reading about it there. And there was that classic image that was used for the poster of the the um, the highway kind of going off into nothingness and, and the light at the end of it. And they used that during the trailer and in the posters. And that that's the only image really for a long time that was floated around and then little information started to come out about the cast and the people working on the movie and the music and, and things like that and it just started to really get excited for this and, and this was in you know in the era of just you know Star Wars that came out in May of 1977 so you got to kind of put this in perspective you know the actually Star Wars was still playing, still playing in November when this movie came out, uh, if you can believe it. And uh, for those of us that lived through that time, uh, you know, Star Wars actually, uh, around the, this time when Close Encounters by Spielberg came out, Star Wars became the, the, the largest grossing movie of all time and overtook Jaws. So it was kind of interesting and kind of uh, poetic in a way that Steven Spielberg then releases Close Encounters. Uh, let's give you some uh, some further background beyond what you just heard there in that uh, very good uh, trailer. Uh, this movie, again, came out November 16th, uh, 1977, at a running time, the original running time, because uh, there are a few different versions of this film, but the theatrical release was 137 minutes, 2 hours and 17 minutes. It had a budget only of about... Different things, different sites say different things. Anywhere between about 18 million and 20 million. So we'll just call it 20 million uh, for simplicity. And it made uh, to date at the box office 337 million, 700,000. So a huge, huge, big, big hit, uh, both uh, at the box office and later on home. VHS and DVD and Blu-ray as well now. So uh, it it has been a uh, a, a really a classic movie critics really enjoyed it i think at the time even fans you know people regular people going to see it enjoyed it this movie is there are very few detractors of of what people think about this movie in terms of you know 
most people like it. Most people love it, and most people think it's 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 a classic and a great sci-fi film. And I completely agree with all of that. I mean, I just I just think it's it, it's a unique movie. There really has never been another movie kind of either before or like this. I don't think, and it's a very and I'll try to explain this a little bit. To me, it's a very Spielberg kind of movie. This is a very, you know, movie kind of in the vein of E.T. And it shows a lot of, I think, the personality of Spielberg, the kind of childlike quality of some of the things in this movie, just like in E.T., uh, a very family kind of movie, too, in a way, uh, where you get to see a family and how they're affected by what happens. Also, just like in E.T. And, and so it's I think that's just a, a hallmark and a trademark of Spielberg, especially at this time in uh, his career. Of course, he's gone on to, you know, his current movie out there uh, that he's got out in the theaters is Lincoln, uh, which I'm interested to see. I, I don't know. Again, that's not a movie I might go to the theater to see, but I'll watch it sometime on, on Netflix eventually or whatever. But, uh, you know, Spielberg, just a, a really a great director. And, and I think this movie is 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 one of his highlights you know of of his career to me you know he's had a lot of them i mean the, the guy's had a great career and and continues to have a great career but this movie i just find so you know perfect for him same thing with like et and uh well so that's i like it <laughs> can you tell and and it's uh, well you know it's 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 time we uh we covered it here on treks and sci-fi i'm going to talk to you a little bit first here and then we'll go through some clips as I give you some more background on the movie. A little bit about the development. I, and I'm going to read some of this stuff off Wikipedia, which is pretty good and pretty accurate. I've read a few other sites about trying to bone up on, on things before I talk about this. But uh, this... Uh, this information again is uh, most of it's been talked about in, in circles before in documentaries and things. But uh, the film's origins can be traced to Spielberg's youth. He basically got uh, there's a scene in Close Encounters. For those familiar with this movie, and I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast today have seen this movie at least once, if not many times. Uh, there's a scene in the movie where Roy Neary pulls everybody out of the beds at, in the middle of the night to run out and see where the UFOs were and to look at them. Uh, that he had just seen recently uh, that evening, and and he pulls him up out of bed, and uh, there's uh, something that happened to Steven Spielberg similarly when he was growing up. His father, uh, there was a meteor shower when he was growing up in New Jersey, and his father woke everybody up, dragged him outside in the middle of the night to see these meteors. So they weren't being dragged out to see uh, UFOs, but they were dragged out to see this meteor shower. So he uh when he was a teenager spielberg uh, he was uh, completed this uh full-length science fiction film called firelight and there's uh i don't know if there's a way to see that anywhere but there's a lot of scenes that are much like that are used later in close encounters for that uh movie that he made just as a teenager and, and shot for shot actually uh, matches that and uh so this idea of looking up in the skies and lights in the sky, meteors, UFOs, was always something Spielberg had in his head. Uh, he first considered doing a, just a low-budget kind of documentary uh, film about people who believed in UFOs. And in the you know in the 70s and in the you know the later 70s especially, you got to keep in mind that UFOs. There were various TV shows, documentaries, films. There was the uh, Barney and Betty Hill story that was floating around. 
UFOs were very much in people's heads at that time. So this movie came at a good time. I don't think people have that quite feeling the same way anymore. I think people have become kind of jaded and kind of cynical a little bit. And most of the contact type movies and thoughts people have these days are aliens come here and kill us all, you know, right? <laughs> like Falling Skies, that TV show, which is a good show. And, and, and quite a few other recent movies where the aliens just show up and start blasting everybody. Uh, I don't really believe that, that that's the way things would go. I, I, I firmly believe that any technology, any civilization that had the ability to get to Earth would not come here to just start, like, killing us. I, I just really don't see that. I, it doesn't make sense to me at all. And this idea that people, aliens, would come here to, to, to steal our resources is even more ludicrous to me. If they can build ships to get to Earth, they don't need to, to, to you know, pull up our, or grab our water or coal or, or whatever natural resource. You guys, there's no point in that. There are asteroids. There's all kinds of sources of raw materials and things out there. They don't need to come here and get our, like, you know, diamonds. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But I'm spinning off. Um, let's see. Uh, let me give you a little bit more on the background here. Uh, after Jaws, of course, Spielberg became, uh, you know, a, a big success. He had other films, a couple of things before that, but that really gave him the, the power and the clout at Columbia Studios to, to make a film uh, the way he wanted to. He didn't really have to talk to anyone about it or check with the studios. He could do what he wanted. He, he got a guy named Paul Schrader. I think that his first name is Paul Schrader. Um, and uh, he worked on the script for Close Encounters. And uh, Spielberg calls it one of the most embarrassing screenplays ever professionally turned into a major, in for a major film studio or director. Uh, it was a terribly guilt-ridden story, not about UFOs at all. So then he got, uh, well, let's see, he basically kind of worked on the rewrite, yeah. And then the, uh, they had some creative differences, obviously, Schrader and Spielberg over this. And they hired a guy named John Hill to rewrite the script. And at one point, the actual, the main character wasn't this uh, guy who went out and fixed, you know, electric poles and things. He was uh, a police officer. And Spielberg really didn't, he just had trouble identifying with that. He wanted a more every guy, everyday kind of guy, not a, not a cop. And uh, so, so you know, the, the, this, the Schrader Hill script uh, was more like a James Bond adventure. So... Then there was another rewrite. Uh, David Giller came in, uh, and uh, a couple other people worked on it. Hal Barwood and Matthew Robbins, friends of Spielberg's, kind of suggested a couple plot devices like the kidnapped child effect that's in there. And uh, this inclusion of this When You Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio. And the script started to come together. There's another guy named Jerry Bilson came in also, and Spielberg rewrote the shooting script. And it ends up that actually Steven Spielberg was given the sole, sole writing credit for this movie. Uh, it, it's, it's really a convoluted history of the story and the script. A lot of people came in and worked on little bits of it, but it ended up being, you know, Spielberg put a lot of his thoughts and what he wanted into the script. So that's kind of way this ended up in the story. Uh, the principal photography began on uh, May of uh, 1976, in May 16th, 1976, so about a year before Star Wars came out. So, you know, the film w was in the can and pretty much put together uh, before Star Wars hit in May of 77. Uh, they get, you know, they, they, there was a, 
you know, a lot of financial troubles for a little while there with the budget and things. Uh, Columbia Pictures had some financial difficulties. They were financing things. Uh, Spielberg originally estimated the movie would only cost maybe about, you know, $2.7 million, but the budget came up to about $19.5 million. Columbia Studio Executive uh, said, I, if we knew it was going to cost that much, they probably wouldn't have greenlighted the project, they said, uh, which is, you know, it's kind of good. Uh, I, guess, I guess, you know, once you get a project going, you know, there have been movies, lots of movies, you don't hear about them a lot, but a lot of movies will get started and they realize they cost too much and they just kind of stop. And uh, it's this is one of those cases where the fact that Spielberg was aboard pushing this thing, pushing this train, pushing Close Encounters uh, allowed them to continue with it. And, you know, Doug Trumbull did the visual effects along with a lot of other people involved in that team. Uh, you know, the, the budget just for the effects was probably around three, three point three million. Uh, it's uh, there's uh, a lot of little uh, touches in here related to Star Wars on the big mothership at the end. There's a little R2D2 in there uh, and, uh, you know, all kinds of neat little things like that. Uh, let's get into uh, talking about that's that's a pretty good amount of the background, the writing and, and so forth. Let's get into some of the clips and I'm going to go through the movie a little bit. I've got about nine or ten clips here to play. Uh, it's a little tricky to pull clips out of this movie because so much of it is visual. You know, there's so many special effects with the UFOs and, and what happens to the different characters when the um, thing, you know, the the close encounter happens to Roy Neary and also the little boy in the movie. You know, they, but I will try to give you some of the taste and, and some clips here where there's actually a little bit of talk and things. I, I, I really enjoy the stuff with Roy Neary and his family. So there's a few, several clips for that. And uh and the um, so let's get going here. The opening clip here. This is near the beginning where I think they're finding the uh, the World War II airplanes there out in the desert that look like they've they can pretty much fly and they've got gas in them still and all that. So listen to this clip. something. What the hell is happening here? It's flight number 19. 19 what? It's that training mission from the Naval Air Station at Fort Lauderdale. They were doing target runs on an old hulk. Who flies crates like these anymore? No one. These planes were reported missing in 1945. But it looks brand new. Uh, in that clip, the guy that you hear his voice mostly is Bob Balaban. Uh, he plays the French translator for uh, Francois Truffaut's character of Lacombe. Uh, he is uh, Bob Balaban's character is David, David Laughlin. I'm not even sure if you ever hear his name in the movie. But anyway, he's uh, 
translator, and he's kind of good to bring in because uh, Lacombe's character is this sort of UFO kind of guy expert, and he only, you know, he mostly speaks French. There's sometimes he speaks a little English in the movie. So Bob Balaban is sort of like uh, us there a little bit because he gets explained a little to a degree of what's going on in the movie, what's happening, these World War II planes showing up. Um, and then then he's, you know, like, what the heck's going on here? Why do these planes, what are they doing out in the middle here? And they look, look like they haven't aged, you know, 30 years have gone by, 30-some years at this point in time when this movie was made, and these planes look brand new. Uh, one little kind of cool note uh, there's a little calendar like from 1940s that's in the cockpit of one of the planes they open up that was actually a reprinted calendar they had found a company that had made these little sort of gag calendars to um not really a gag but you know how years eventually repeat themselves well i think it was 75 for 1945 maybe it was the connection i would have to look up exactly it's not really important but they found a company that had reprinted some of these calendars uh as a little throwback uh, you know with pinup girls on them and stuff and they found one of those and put it in there so they had that they didn't actually need to just make it for the movie it was something they found that a company had done i thought that was kind of neat uh, a couple other things. The the movie starts out with stuff like this, where they're finding things that don't make any sense, and it appears, you know, that things that have been returned, but you know, that eventually you basically kind of figure out in this movie that the UFO guys have been, you know, visiting Earth and picking up things, and then taking them, and then and then returning them. And there's a time element there that, that it's never really completely explained in the movie. But the, the the idea to me has always been that time is moving differently for them based on maybe the speed that their ships travel or whatever it is that maybe 30 years or so have gone by for Earth, but it hasn't been maybe that long for the aliens. And that bringing these things back, it's not like they took the planes and the pilots and had them for 35 years or whatever, 30-some years, and then returned them because I'm getting ahead of, of things a little bit, but eventually at the end of the movie these pilots are returned and they've not aged you know they look just like they did when they when they left they've got the same gear on and everything like that so either there's a time dilation weirdness going on or somehow they've been preserved or or in some kind of you know cryostasis all that time who knows it's not really that important but it, i've always thought it's more of a time thing that's going on that the the ships have the ability to do that so even though and again i'm getting way ahead of myself the uh, they take you know Roy Neary goes with him at the end well people wonder well why is he leaving why is he leaving his family and I don't know if he really puts it together but you know he may come back in just a few you know a short time or a long time it's hard to say uh, but I, I think the wonder of, of going out there with them would kind of override maybe his family concerns especially with what happens to him but getting way ahead of myself and uh, with that I'm going to play another clip, and I think this is one of the early scenes with Roy Neary, and shows a little bit about how chaotic his family life is. And he's got these kids uh, that that have kind of interesting personalities, and are a little out of control to a degree. His wife, uh, I really like Terry Garr in his move in this movie as his wife, Ronnie Neary. Uh, Ronnie is uh, uh, plays this just kind of like she's kind of ex a bit exasperated, and uh, and uh, Spielberg cast Terry Garr in the role just uh, based on like a commercial he had seen her in even though she had done you know some tv and some other things at the by that time in her career she of course was in the classic uh, tos episode assignment earth and, and other things but uh, 
Uh, and of course, Richard Dreyfus in this movie, you know, obviously he was cast, you know, they've got uh, a history there, Spielberg and him. One of the interesting things about uh, Neary and, and that, but they considered uh, other actors, and I had those down here somewhere. Let me see if I can find them real quick, but they had other actors as possibilities for uh, Neary's character. Well, you know what? I'll play the clip first of him and his family, and then I'll come back and talk a little bit more about that character. Roy, what is all this stuff on my table? I thought I told you this was for my stuff, this table. I mean, you can have that table. Oh, I don't want this stuff on my breakfast table. This can cause tetanus. What is this? Hey, you know who's playing in town? Pinocchio. I don't want it on my kids table. I'm just saying I grew up with Pinocchio. And the kids are still kids. They're going to eat it up. Okay. Okay, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong, Roy. All right? Tell me you are close to death. Come out of here. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you your choice. I'm not going to be biased in any way. Tomorrow night, you can either play goofy golf, which means a lot of waiting and shoving and pushing and probably getting a zero, or you can see Pinocchio, which is a lot of furry animals and magic, and you'll have a wonderful time. Okay? Now let's vote. Go! All right, everybody to bed. No, wait. Bed. Bed we can finish working the Ten Commandments. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like Roy Neary. I can kind of identify a little bit. There's, you know, he wants to take these kids to see his classic movie from, you know, him growing up and, and Pinocchio and, and they want to go play this goofy golf game. And there's this kid in the background there. You know, this this is, again, a, a classic Spielberg kind of thing where the kids are just a little crazy, a little out of control. The family's a little, you know, not perfect, a little messed up. And this kid's banging this this doll on the on. That's what you hear in that clip. This bang, 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 and Roy finally yells out. You know, he yells at his kid, and he's like, "You're close to death. Come here!" And he, and the kid gets out of where he's at and walks over. And Roy takes the little doll that he's been smashing against the side of this crib or something, uh, playpen, I think it is. But anyway, it's just a good a f good introduction to this crazy family, the Neary family. Uh, Terry Gar there, you hear her a little bit. They've got this big train set up. He, he's, you get a sense that Roy Neary isn't your kind of average dad, that he likes to be with the kids and be a little more creative and imaginative. And I think that's important because I think that's one of the reasons that, that what happens to him with the UFOs affects him in the way it does. He is somebody, his mind is kind of open to, to that kind of stuff a little bit. Uh, and, and it works uh, well for his character. The other actors that they were tossing around and, you know, approached and, and thought of for the Neary character, Steve, Mc, Steve Mc, McQueen. I can't talk right now, sorry. Steve McQueen, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman, and, and even Jack Nicholson all considered for the part. I could see Dustin Hoffman. I think Dustin Hoffman out of that group has the kind of uh, a, a sort of uh, characteristics uh, that would work for Neary uh, pretty well, I think. Uh, it's it's He's the only one of those. I think Jack Nicholson wouldn't have worked. I don't think Gene Hackman would, would have worked as well. Um, but... Um, 
But the, uh, you know, the fact that Richard Dreyfuss had worked on Jaws and he and Spielberg obviously, you know, formed a rapport and a friendship there. And now having him in this movie as well, I think was a good, a real good fit. And Dreyfuss, I think, is just really fantastic, really works well in this movie. So uh, let's uh, play another clip. Are you okay? I'm sorry. I, I didn't even see him. He was just standing right in the middle of the road. Hello? Oh, my God. Hello? What's the matter with you? Yeah, Yeah, that's the scene where Roy sees the UFOs on the road along with uh, Jillian, uh, the Melinda Dillon character, who has the little boy. She's a single mother, and she has the little boy, Barry, uh, who is very entranced and taken with the UFOs, and he eventually gets uh, you know, taken away by, by one of them a little bit later in the movie. He was played uh, Barry uh, Geiler. Uh, Melinda Dillon's, uh, Jillian's character's son is played by Carrie Guffey and uh, did a really amazing job in this movie. He was only like about four years old when it was filmed. And Steven Spielberg was so impressed and so was everyone else on the on the set that uh, he basically started to be called and known as one take Carrie because uh, he he could do all these scenes without very little direction or setup or anything. He just nailed it and just perfect, you know, his innocence and just his voice. And, you know, he's always saying, hello, hello. He's got that little kid voice and he's, you know, just wants to talk to these little bright lights and everything like that. And uh, really, really uh, perfect in this movie and and does a great job uh, and uh, really impressive. So next up, I think, is the clip with uh, Waking Up the Family. Let's go see the UFOs. Wake up. Honey, Ronnie, wake up. You're not going to believe what I saw. Ronnie? No, don't. Not now. No, no, listen, Ronnie. Ronnie, I never would have believed it. There was this, uh, in the cab, it was this whole, it went, it was a, there was a red wuss that, that, where? This Roy, really... um, I called you. We gotta get something and, um, here. McGovern, they want you to call you know them the... right away. They said they couldn't reach you. I turned the radio off. You know those pictures in the National Geographic about the Aurora Boroughs? This is better than that. This is really... Come on. Come on, Ronnie. Get up. Come on. Oh, Roy, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. I don't know if anything's wrong. Get up. Get up. I'm not kidding. 
Come on, come on. Is that an accident? No, it's not an accident. You you wanted to get out of the house anyway, right? Well, not at four o'clock in the morning. Ronnie, I need you to see something with me. It's really important. Okay, all right. What about the kids? What? Oh, the kids. I'll get the kids. Sylvia, come on. We're going on a little adventure. Sylvia, Brad, come on. Get up. Up, both. Come on. It's better than Goofy Golf. Come on. So that's the scene that was sort of redoing something that happened to Spielberg also when he was growing up about getting woken up in the night to go out and see meteors. When uh, Roy Neary takes his family out, of course, they don't end up seeing any more UFOs. So they really kind of think that Daddy has gone off the deep end a little bit here. And then this starts after Roy has his close encounter. You know, he's first in his truck and has that real close meetup with one of the alien ships. And then the the ones that are flying by on the road, he sees that as well. And these these visitations that the that the aliens do in the ships uh, to different people in the movie start to affect them. They start to uh, uh, the uh, the character Melinda Dillon's character Jillian starts to draw pictures of uh, Devil's Mountain that they eventually the big UFO meetup happens at. And Roy uh, is. He's kind of a builder. His family, uh, they have this big train set. So he starts to build different things. First, it's out of like mashed potatoes on his plate uh, at at dinner. And then he starts making it bigger and bigger, eventually uh, taking over a big part of the house and freaking his family kind of out. And I think the next clip is a little bit about that. Wouldn't pay an arm and a leg for vegetables, would you? Roy! The plants are fine there! Roy, can you hear me? Hey! What are you doing? You're gonna love it, Ronnie. What do you mean? You really love this. Roy, what are you doing? Remember, when you shop at the That's what I was gonna say. Oh, Roy! Come on in! Yes, after this, can we go to my window? If I don't do this, that's when I'm going to need a doctor. Do it. What are you doing? I, I got it. What that's, are you doing? I, well, I figured it out. That's all. Will you just listen? No. Uh, Ronnie, look. You ever look at something when it's crazy, and then you look at it in another way, and it's not crazy at all? No, I haven't. No. Come on, Ronnie. Just listen. I don't know what if you're you doing. If you just close your eyes for five minutes, close, close your eyes and hold your breath. No. And it'll be really pretty. Roy? Now. Don't be scared. Just don't be scared. I feel really good. Everything's gonna be all right. I haven't felt this good in years. Everything's gonna be okay. Yeah. So Roy is—he's got this image in his mind, you know, like uh, the other people that have been uh, had close encounters uh, of this this uh, mountain-like thing. Uh, it's actually—it's not Devil's Mountain. It's Devil's Tower in Wyoming that they've seen. Or that they have sort of burned into their brains a little bit, and he has to build this sort of 3D model out of out of you know dirt and and you know little plants, and he makes it pretty much. It looks like it's 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 a model that could be used for the for the film itself, and he makes this huge thing in his in his living room. 
again, Richard Dreyfus just perfect here, just a little little crazy, uh, but uh, he's he just got to do this. He's got to do what's what what he's seen in his head. Uh, I was gonna say earlier, I forgot to say about a little bit more about ba- Bob Balban's character as the translator. Bob Balaban had uh, learned French in, in college, but was you know had never really used it very much and was pretty rusty on it. And and when they were talking to him to you know see if he you know could do this part on the phone, they ask him of course you know could you speak French? And he answers the the the, the Spielberg and the other people there that were on the phone with him. He answers him in French and he says, well, not very well, but whatever that would be in French. But there was nobody in the room really that knew French, so basically he kind of bluffed his way through, uh, you know, even though his French was not very good, uh, the, to get the part. And and obviously you can have a, somebody who who's a, you know, a French expert there feeding him the lines and helping him on on set. So I don't think it matters that much if you've got some French background or some language background background in the particular language you know lynn my wife teaches uh spanish and french and you know if you feed the line to somebody somebody can usually mimic it back but i just found it kind of funny and interesting and i again i think he's really great in this part i I think the whole cast is one thing again about spielberg lucas uh, you know, just other great filmmakers and directors, I, I, and I think uh, you know Ridley Scott. I mean, there's just a whole long, long list of, or uh, maybe not a long list, but a list of people that. One of the things that they do very well, anyone who's had huge success, I think, in movies, is is they they know how to cast parts. They know how to cast different actors for different roles, and and it, that is a big part of a movie. I think if you get the right cast. You, it, it's just magic, and it really works. And I think again, Spielberg—that's one of his strengths here in this movie—is the cast just seems to just be perfect for their different parts. So, uh, time for I think another clip, and I think we're to the point where they're they're um, the Melinda Dillings character and and uh, Dreyfus, uh, both of them, those characters. Uh, they are finally at uh, the the mountain at Devil's Tower. So Roy and Jillian uh, make their way to Dallas Tower, and there's this government uh, kind of conspiracy or cover-up thing going on where they're talking that some kind of toxic gas was released, and the animals, they see these different animals along the road that are, that are dead. They're not really dead, of course, and they're trying to scare off anyone from that area because... Uh, the government has sort of learned that this this devil towers this 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 place 
is is something that they're getting from people that have had close encounters and therefore this is probably a spot that hey there are all these ufo guys are saying hey how about devil's tower devil's tower devil's tower so let's all meet at devil's tower i don't remember in the movie anywhere where they really explain like when it's going to happen you know i guess that's not really important they get there they get set up and they're just prepared for it you know the movie doesn't say oh well they didn't come tonight oh they didn't come tonight and then they do come i mean they don't really go into that i guess it's not super important and the uh the but the roy and and uh, jillian make their way there and then they're caught by the government bob balaban and lacombe and the next clip is uh them questioning this is kind of a a good scene i like this one where roy is kind of being questioned and interviewed by uh Lacombe and uh, and the Bob Balaban's character. We have very little time, Mr. Neary. This is Mr. Lacombe. Hello. We need answers from you. They're honest, direct, and to the point. Where is Jillian? Est-ce que vous vous rendez compte du danger que vous courez, vous et votre ami? Do you realize the danger that you and your friend have risked? En venant ici, vous exposez au gaz toxique? In coming here, you've exposed yourself to toxic gas. Well, I'm alive. We're talking. We're talking. Nous parlons. C'est vrai, Monsieur Neri. Well, this is true, Mr. Neri. Mais si les vents dominants avaient soufflé du sud au lieu du nord? Prevailing winds were blowing from the south instead of the north. Cette conversation n'aurait même pas lieu. This conversation would not be taking place. There's nothing wrong with the air. Qu'est-ce qui vous fait dire ça? What makes you say that? I just know. There's nothing wrong with it. Je le sais. Go outside and make me a liar. Uh, look, I want to talk to the man in charge. Mr. Lacombe is the highest authority. He isn't even an American. Je n'aurai pas les réponses. Monsieur Neri, êtes-vous un artiste, un peintre? Mr. Neri, are you an artist or a painter? No. Est-ce qu'il vous arrive d'entendre des sons curieux dans votre oreille, des sons persistants Presque agréable, mélodique. Avez-vous des maux de tête, des migraines Irritation des yeux et du sinus Démangeaisons, des allergies Des brûlures sur le visage et sur le corps Look at this. Yeah, I got one just like in my living room. Who are you people? Monsieur Neri, please, one more question. N'avez-vous pas fait récemment une rencontre? Have you recently had a close encounter? Une rencontre plutôt inhabituelle. A close encounter with something very unusual. Who are you people? Monsieur Neri, s'il vous plaît, regardez bien les visages de ces gens, de ces hommes et de ces femmes. Et puis dites-moi si vous les connaissez, ou alors sont-ils des étrangers pour vous Oui, c'est pour elle. Et vous êtes cru obligé, allez-vous, de venir ici Et les deux de vous sont compelés de venir ici Oui, vous pouvez dire ça. Mais qu'espériez-vous trouver Mais qu'est-ce que vous espériez trouver Une réponse Ce n'est pas crazy, est-ce yeah, so, you know, Roy is not really quite buying the, the cover-up story at all, and, and Jillian and him have been kind of separated. They're questioning him and trying to find out, you know, are you an artist? Have you drawn this thing? And he's like, 
there's something about Dreyfus what he does in this movie that seems so natural that I I always wonder uh, how much exactly that when he's answering things and doing things in the movie are is scripted or or what is he just doing like there was a scene back when he was going crazy at home building the the devil's tower in his living room and and, and he and he's the neighbors are all looking at him like he's a freak he's got this bathrobe on uh, his wife uh, Ronnie leaves with the kids. And he's out there. He grab, I think he picks up the paper on the driveway, and then he just kind of like tucks his robe, you know, folds his robe over and ties it, and then just kind of walks back into his house, like, oh, nothing to see here. And then everything's fine, you know what I mean? And it's just little stuff like that. And he's like, and and here during this interview where he tells these guys, like, uh, he keeps saying, "Who are you people?" And he's just got that look and the way he says it. It's just just perfect, and it fits real well. Um, next couple of clips. We're getting towards the end of the movie now, of course the there's uh, the way they communicate with the aliens I think is really cool and really uh, different and unique here with sound and one of the the things about this is Spielberg's uh, parents Spielberg's parents uh, one of them was a, his his father was a computer guy a computer engineer so an engineer real sciencey tech kind of guy and his mother was a musician I think she was a pianist. Uh, so he had both the te- technical kind of stuff in, in his background, you know, as far as his parents, uh, the tech side of things, and then also the, the artistic, the musical side of things. And that is, is completely melded together here in this movie where there, this contact with aliens and all these scientists and everything there and the the way they do it is through these sound tones the you know dun 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 you know the classic that the, that everyone knows who knows close encounters that little is it five notes or whatever dun 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 whatever I, i'll play enough of it for you here you'll hear it again but i think it's really cool the fact that they're using sound because sound is sort of mathematic in a way and and, and it is um a very interesting and, and neat way that they do this at um, devil's tower to talk to the big old mothership here and and, and talk them in so uh here's a clip of that and i you know there's not a lot of dialogue in these next couple of clips so anyway listen to uh this So there are these three ships that they're signaling, and then they all disappear. 
they give the tones back to them and then the, everyone's kind of clapping and they kind of think it's over in the in this point and then the big old mothership the big refinery in space uh the the story goes with this is uh, Spielberg was, you know, they, they had tossed around a bunch of ideas for the big mothership, what it would look like in that. And, and he was driving somewhere along, home one night, one evening and looks out to, and, and sees this big refinery, this big kind of dark structure, but with a lot of bright lights on it. And that gave them the idea for what the mothership would look like, that it was kind of like this, uh, you know, it's got this sort of big oval circular base but it's it, it looks kind of like a refinery with all these things jutting out of it and uh and that's where that that concept for what the mothership would look like uh came from was was the, it kind of would look like a refinery uh with all the bright lights but mostly kind of dark and that's what you we get here uh next clip uh, some more sounds uh between the alien ship and uh and and the people Then pause. She sent us four quavers, a group of five quavers, a group of four semi-quavers. The only thing these phrases have in common are five, six. I hope somebody's taking all this down. What are we saying to each other? It seems they're trying to teach us a basic tonal vocabulary. It's the first day of school, fellas. Take everything from the lady. Five, two, all of her patterns, note three, one. So they have this nice, like, playful exchange of these sounds back and forth between the big mothership and the, and the people there, the scientists, and the one guy's like ah, what are we what are, what are we saying to each other i hope somebody's writing all this down or doing something you know recording it it's it's a great scene and again this is just to me much more like i would think some kind of meeting between an alien you know, you know ship and ufo's would be rather than coming down and blowing up the white house and stuff like that it, it's just uh, there there's the, if they can build a ship to get here, they're not coming here to blow us up. It's just not. <laughs> it doesn't work. And and I and I like the optimism, the the youthful, you know, hope and 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 just and just everything, you know, just the curiosity going on in in this movie between us and the aliens and all that. Uh, one last clip, and I think this clip might be in kind of kind of I kind of spliced together a couple of pieces. Uh, this is the the end of the movie, and of course Roy Neary goes off with um goes off with the aliens to see joins this little group of all these guys in these little suits with sunglasses on uh, it looks like they, it's some kind of group of, of government or military people that have been sort of selected to go not necessarily people that had been that had had a close encounter roy neary looks like he's one of the exceptions and you get all the returning 
people come off the ship, the, the, the pilots, uh, the little boy. Uh, and uh, there's also uh, Steven Spielberg's dog pops up in this movie. I think there's a dog that comes off the, the mothership and it's Spielberg's dog. Uh, that he slides in there and it, it and also uh, you know a couple of little touches like that throughout the movie lots of little hidden easter egg type gems in this in this movie like they they like to do uh like i said there's a little r2d2 on the mothership too that you can look for if you look real close uh one thing that roy uh sorry one thing that spielberg has said about roy neary in recent times you know spielberg made this movie before he had children of his own and he has said that uh, if he had made this movie now after having kids, he would have never had Roy go off with the mothership, go off with the aliens. He wouldn't have had Roy leave his family, whether it was going to be for a few you know, days, weeks. You know, he really didn't know. Um, the other thing, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this after I play the last clip. This movie's got a few different versions now out. It's actually one of the first films that ever got sort of a re-edit uh, into what's called the, the Close Encounters of the Third Kind Special Edition. Uh, it was one of the first really big, big times that that happened. And one of the biggest things that was added in is you get to see the inside of the mothership when Roy Neary goes in there. And that was a big deal at the time. And I'll talk more about that in a, in a minute. But what I did want to say about that, it, right now at least, is Spielberg has also said, uh, gone on record kind of now, is saying he doesn't think that that was really necessary. So uh, anyway, here's some of the end of bit of Close Encounters and a couple of clips, and then I'll come back and we'll uh, finish off our discussion on it. Mr. Neary, I'm told that we can count on your complete cooperation. What type of blood do you have? I don't have the slightest idea. What is your date of birth? Uh, December 4th, 1944. Have you been inoculated against smallpox diphtheria? Is there any history of liver disease in your family? Goodbye, goodbye. So there they go. Roy Neary goes off in the mothership. And let me talk now a little bit about the the changes here that happen. Uh, 
the 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 reissues and re-edits and things like that and and stuff that happened with this movie out one of the things couple things first the the studio columbia pictures they were really in financial difficulties when when spielberg was first working on this uh he spielberg wasn't really happy with his first version of the movie but and they also were pushing uh, to get it released sooner than Spielberg wanted. He wanted like another six months. He wanted to have it come out in the summer of 1978. Uh, but they wanted it out sooner, so they got it out in November of 77. But that that what happened after it got a big, you know, huge hit, huge financial success, uh, Spielberg uh, said he wanted to make this director's cut. He he's, he was calling it so they could show the inside of the mothership was the main thing. And so this what was what became known as the the special edition of the film, uh, where there were seven minutes of new footage added, and he shortened shortened up some other parts of the movie as well. Actually, the special edition is about three minutes shorter than the original release, and there there's some other little new scenes in there uh, that happen. <clears throat> excuse me. Besides the ending, uh, and. The, you know, I, I have kind of mixed feelings about uh, when you start tinkering with the original. You know, you've got the original movie, you got the special edition. I, it was kind of cool to see the inside of the mothership, but I thought that was kind of unnecessary. And Spielberg eventually agreed, because what he did then in 1998 is Spielberg recut the movie again into what was then becomes and known as the collector's edition of Close Encounters. This movie, he re-edited the, the 77 version. He kept some of the stuff from the 18, 1980 special edition, but he pulls out the whole Mothership interior stuff, which Spielberg uh, rightly believed that that should just remain a mystery. It should be up to your own imagination. But of course, now it isn't because you've shown it once, even though you pulled it out of the last edition. So there's kind of uh, basically three versions of this movie around. There's the original uh, theatrical release from 77 there is the special edition and there's the collector's edition so you know Spielberg and Lucas they like to play with their movies uh, it's uh, unfortunately a lot of this stuff is all out there's an ultimate edition blu-ray that's available uh, to to uh, to purchase it's a little expensive there's also just a basic blu-ray which I'm not sure which version I only actually I don't have a blu-ray version of close encounters I need to get that sometime but uh, I just have a DVD, but it is uh, something that's, you know, there are multiple versions of this around. They've come out on Laserdisc, a VHS tape, DVD, Blu-rays, uh, lots of stuff. But uh, I, I kind of like the classic version myself a little bit. I mean, it's it, it when you see something the, the first time, it, it kind of puts an impression on you, and I think that you kind of get used to that. There are definitely deleted scenes you can see of this, uh, other things they find. Uh, when they're out there at the beginning of the movie, other uh, little sightings in different places around the world, uh, like out in the desert, uh, there was a, a ship that they find in the Gobi Desert. Um, but anyway, uh, I wanted to uh, just mention some of those other editions of this. I also have a clip here to play from our friend Rick Moyer and some of his comments about Close Encounters, which I'm excited to, uh, to listen with all of you. So I'm going to play that for you now. Here's Rick's comments on this movie. Hey Rico, this is Rick Moyer, Moyer777 from the forums and avid listener to the podcast Treks in Sci-Fi. It's so darn cool. Thank you for doing it, by the way. And thanks for all the great guest hosts this year. Oh my gosh, has it been awesome or what? 
I am just thrilled that you are covering Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I have to say a few things about this movie because it was so impactful upon my life in a lot of different ways. But mostly, as you all know, I'm a musician and I love playing music. The music is what captivated me in this program. And specifically, the scene where the the ship comes down and communicates with the uh, with the folks, and I just I just love this scene. I'm gonna play a little bit for you. You probably already played it, but I'll narrate what I was thinking when I was watching it for the first time. I just I remember sitting in the theater, and the subwoofers you know kicked in when it did that part there, and the shattered the glass you know on the on the screen, and I immediately felt a rush of energy go through me and I thought to myself I want one of those cool light boards that when you push the sound on your keyboard that the light lights up because that was so cool and you know it really started me getting into I bought all sorts of cool little lights that were were sound activated and I got into synthesizers and all sorts of cool um, musical instruments as a result of this soundtrack because I liked it so much. It fascinated me. And it was just, it just is wonderful. And I've always been interested now in electronic music, even though if you listen to the music that they're playing, it's all done with uh, orchestra instruments. It's just amazing. But when you look at it, um, when they answered back to the alien craft, they used a keyboard. And uh, that just fascinated me with that type of music. And that was all. That had me. And from then then on, I really thought that electronic music was the coolest. So 1977, I was only 12 years old. And so that's what really kicked me off into listening to all sorts of different electronic music and followed it from there. And now I have my own studio and do music for a living. So pretty cool close encounters of the third kind what a neat show and what a cool thing to put out i just i just really enjoyed it plus i really liked the little alien work that they did and it was so cool to finally answer that question what happened to all those people in the bermuda triangle okay well i'm signing off thanks again for reviewing the movie i really really liked this movie it was groundbreaking in a lot of different ways but especially for me personally with music Thanks, as always, for your comments, Rick. I, I had a feeling this was a, a favorite of yours because of all the music in it. And I didn't talk too much about that, really. I mean, obviously, I talked a little bit about the communicating between the aliens uh, at the end with music, with sounds, sounds and tones. Uh, but the soundtrack itself, you know, John Williams, I remember listening to this uh, soundtrack quite a bit. 
when it was first out and since then. I mean, it's it's a it's a really a great soundtrack. It's very uplifting and, and just hopeful and, and, a, and a really good job by John Williams, as he always does. You know, Star Wars and, and, and Close Encounters and Raiders and, and just just amazing work he can do for a film and how much he adds to it. So, And I didn't really even talk about the little skinny aliens in the movie itself that you see. Uh, you know, they're... They're the classic, you know, aliens, the Roswell kind of looking aliens, you know, very thin, funny, funny heads, you know, very featureless kind of in a way. And uh, I don't know, I kind of have mixed feelings about seeing the actual aliens in this movie. You know, I I, I, I don't know if even that was necessary either. But um, but anyway, uh, what else do we want to wrap this up with? I guess it's just a it's a cool and, and fantastic movie. If you've never seen this movie. And, and I don't know if you'd be listening to this whole podcast if you've not seen this. Maybe you would. Maybe, you know, some people don't really mind spoilers, I guess. But you, you really owe it to yourself to, to check this movie out and watch it yourself for the first time. And, and any of the additions should be fine. I mean, I think you get the, the movie in, in any way. So uh, I think that's it for Close Encounters. I want to just wrap up today's show uh, and, and just always with a couple little uh, bits of news and information, more information, I guess, not news. Uh, or a little bit of news. But you can always contact the, the podcast, treksf at gmail.com, treksf, all one word, at gmail.com is the way to contact me. If you want to join the forum, uh, just send me an email with your the username that you want, and I'll hook you up. Donations and iTunes reviews and all kinds of good stuff and information you can find on the main site at treksinsci-fi.com. And we also have a Facebook page. Just go to search for Treks in Sci-Fi or just go to facebook.com forward slash Treks in Sci-Fi. And you should find our group and just add to ask uh, to be joined the group. And we'd love to have you. I think we're at about 150 people there now. So, uh, you know, we'd love to have more people. If you're more of a Facebook user than a forum uh, user, you know, uh, you can do it that way. Or if you like to do both, do both. Or if you want to join the forum, just do that. Uh, upcoming on the podcast, just a quick rundown here. Uh, next week is is open right now. Uh, I don't have anyone to do a guest spot on December 2nd, next weekend. So if anyone has something they could throw together fast and wants to do that, we may have actually a, an off week. Uh, there may be nothing next week. So we'll see how that works out. On the 9th of December, we have, I'm going to look at, I'll be back in two weeks to look at a TOS episode from uh, the end of season one called Operation Annihilate. I've not covered that one yet. So from TOS on December 9th. And on the 16th of December, you're going to have Mark here, M5 on the forum. He'll be here to cover a, a kind of a cool uh, classic sci-fi film, uh, kind of something a little different. Uh, it's called Journey to the Far Side of the Sun. Uh, and that, I think it's Roy Thinnes is the, is the main actor in that movie, if I believe. He's an astronaut, I think. So it's been a while since I've seen that. But I'm looking forward to that on the 16th. On December 23rd, I'm going to do a video cast, and this is going to be similar to last year around Christmas time, where we're going to have, uh, we're going to be doing our Secret Santa videos for the most part. That'll be that episode uh, where we've got some of the people on the forum that signed up to do Secret Santa this year. We're going to be talking about the gifts that we get, and opening them on on camera, and all that fun stuff for the holiday. And on the 30th of December, which will be just before the new year, that's a guest spot that's also open right now. So we've got a couple of those, the 2nd of December and the 30th. So if anyone out there listening would like to do a show, just shoot me an email or a PM if you're on the forum or whatever, and let me know what you'd like to do, and we'll get that going. So um, that's it, folks. Everyone have a great uh, 
couple of weeks. I'll be back here in two weeks myself uh, with the TOS episode, and, and uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about, I think. We've got a lot of cool stuff for Trek happening in December with all that footage coming from the new movie. So we'll finally find out, is it Khan that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is playing, or is it Gary Mitchell, or is it somebody else? Uh, I think it's been really confirmed that it, he is a character that we know from Trek. It's not a brand new character. That, at least, I think was confirmed by one of the writers a long time back. So we will see. We will know in a few weeks. So everyone, take care. Have a good uh, couple of weeks. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.